Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. This is Wednesday's show. And we're we got Kyle Clement on. Kyle, are you on? Is my is my buddy Kyle Clement on? Let me check with Richard. Uh, we should be getting him on any second now. By the way, I'll just uh, want to remind you that the month of January is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. <clears throat> Let's remember that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Christ's name is chosen in heaven, and the angel Gabriel announces it when he informs the Blessed Mother of the Incarnation. So remember, during the month of January, say the name of Jesus often throughout the day. Say it with love and faith and hope. The, na- the holy name of Jesus is the most powerful prayer in the universe. It is the name that drives out the demons. But I also warn you, if you use the holy name of Jesus in blasphemy, it could be your death sentence. Okay? All right. <clears throat> we want to talk about spiritual warfare because all of life, from the moment you were born, specifically when you were baptized, you entered into the arena of spiritual warfare, whether you know it or not. We are fighting against the devil, the unbelieving world used by the devil, and our fallen nature that he uses against us. All of life is spiritual warfare. And uh, I'm glad to have Kyle Clement on on, uh, on Wednesdays, who's uh, one of the most adroit, uh, experienced lay Catholics in the world when it comes to spiritual warfare. In fact, Kyle and Father Ripperger and Dr. Dan Schneider are coming this weekend to Covina, California, and they're going to do a two-day spiritual warfare conference. The conference is already sold out. But you can sign up and you can get uh, the conference sent to you on Monday, and you can watch it and study it for the rest of your life. Kyle, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, good morning, Jesse. How are you? You know what? I went to go visit my son in Kansas uh, over the weekend, and uh, it was five degrees over there. Now, <laughs> my, my my Arizona body was not used to five degrees, so I I came back with a with a winter cold. But other than that, I'm great. Now, Excellent. Uh, yeah. Excellent. But it was it was worth you know watching my new grandson get baptized and being with my son and his and his wife. It was worth it was worth a thousand colds that I could that, that I'm feeling right now. But uh, Kyle, here's what I want to ask you. This weekend you're going to come over to Southern California. You're going to be giving some up. Uh, uh, let me see, Kyle. I just want to ask you about this weekend. You and Father Ripperger and Dr. Dan Schneider, hopefully Dan will be coming. Dan is is a bit under the weather, so you may have to, you and Father Ripperger may have to uh, fill in and take Dan, Dr. Dan Schneider's talks. We'll see you tomorrow. But let me ask you, 
What are you going to talk about? I'm seeing here you got one talk, two talks. Uh, you'll obviously be part of the Q&A section. One of your talks is called Inner Logic of the Liber Crystal Methodology. Can you unpack that for us? Inner Logic of the Liber Crystal Methodology. And I guess, what are you comparing it to? I think that when you look at that, um, first of all, let's define some terms. And this is the third talk in the series the week over the weekend. Father's going to open the weekend <clears throat> with a very, very poignant understanding and kind of orient us for the weekend. His talk is entitled, The Old School is the Only Effective School. Mm. Is that um, when we look back on developing a protocol and a procedure, we wanted to do it consistent with uh, Catholic theology, Catholic teaching. And so the the protocol is, as we call it for short, <clears throat> but the, the SMD, the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother Protocol, for the uh, diagnostics and ultimately the treatment of extraordinary diabolical activity is built, built upon Catholic tradition or old school, if you will. Then Dan's going to, the second talk, hopefully if Dan can join us, but the second talk will be about all the rules of engagement are in sacred scripture. And so this is not a departure. This is not an evangelical or um, departure from Catholic norm. It's not a charismatic response, which was never the Catholic norm. It is a very straightforward method, method of uh, re reordering one's life, one's faculties, one's uh, prayer, um, to the purpose of reconciliation, to the purpose of the economy of salvation. So what inner logic essentially means is, and the reason I style the talk that way, <clears throat> is logic is the matrix for reason. And so we're going to define some terms. Logic means a, a methodology, a pattern of thinking, a pattern of the use of the intellect and the will to, to, to arrive at an absolute truth. And I mentioned reason. The rational quality is reserved to, to higher creatures. Angels and men share the rational quality. And the rational quality, according to Thomistic uh, understanding, St. Thomas Aquinas, doctor of the church, preeminent theologian of the Catholic church, not just another voice to be considered. <clears throat> He's the definitive source of St. Thomas speaks on something we're bound to, to listen and what he's talking about in the in the ordering of the faculties of the human person is the primacy of intellect and will. Now, we share that with the angels who are incorporeal creatures. So we understand that intellect and will are not uh, always something tangible. <clears throat> now, we as humans can manifest our will through a physical action. But this is going to be the basis of the talk, the inner logic, meaning how to affect the pattern of thinking, reorder the faculties through prayer and discipline. If there's a demon present, he'll show himself in response to the prayer and discipline. Kyle, can, <clears throat> are there uh, several basic models that are used in the Catholic Church right now? I mean, Dr. Dan Schneider tells me you have, you have the liberal crystal model which is the more the old school model. Dan also says there's the charismatic or the slash Pentecostal model. Uh, 
and then you have what's called he also called the Roman model. Uh, are you familiar with those schools of thought? And can you give a quick definition of uh, of what they teach and maybe where they depart from the old school model? Okay. Uh, yeah, so let's address the two. First of all, let's address the Roman model just simply because it's probably misnamed. And sadly, it's, it's promoted by Rome, um, <clears throat> promoted by the Vatican. And <clears throat> excuse me, it's promoted, promoted by the Vatican, the International Association of Exorcists and other groups within the church. This is not the first time that we see among them uh, the departure from orthodoxy. And so included among these groups are the International Association of Exorcists, uh, the Pope Leo XIII Institute, the um, Romanum. Well, or with, the, with, with, with you, help, you helped found that institute, correct? Yes, that's correct. <clears throat> so there's been a departure. They followed a different path under Jesuit and, and charismatic leadership, which infiltrated the, the organization. And so now they're squarely under Jesuit and effeminate charismatic leadership, and they're, they're following this path of, um, <clears throat> it's, it's much less effective. And so essentially what they're following is, in the Roman model, is, is spiritual negotiation, not spiritual warfare. And, and so it's a, it's a ongoing dialogue with the diabolic, giving them actual place. Uh, it's a continuation of the first ecumenical theological dialogue, which was Eve and the serpent in the garden. Um, the old school model simply says you, you have to not only discount it, but you can't engage in rational conversation with an irrational creature, with a disordered creature. You can't, you can't do that to any good. And so the, the whole thing devolves down into um, you're playing by their rules, essentially. And so there are many features of the Roman model that are shared with the Pentecostal model. Among them are the misunderstanding um, and a departure from 19th centuries of Catholic teaching that the demons are to be pitied, that they're to be prayed for, that they're to be uh, objects of, of mercy. And this is not so. 19th centuries of Catholic tradition teaches us that they are beyond redemption and any, um, any discomfort we cause them through prayers and through the rite of exorcism is a function of God's justice. This is what the church has held for 19th centuries and, and we're starting to get this creep um, that is a much more psychological approach, even to the demon, um, to deal with broken psychology <clears throat> and not to reorder it but to actually quote, and you'll, this is um, the relativist, one of the relativist modernist mantras, which is to meet them where they are. Um, the Libra Cristo model, it's not unique, but going back to centuries of practice, we understood that habitual sin had to stop and the soul had to attain a state of grace. Um, this is done through, the, through acts of the will. But I think that's one of the key things that the Pentecostal model and the Roman model. Kyle, I hear the music, my friend. Let's let's stop right there. We'll pick it up on the next segment. Jesus 911, we're talking about the spiritual warfare conference this weekend. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, Lord, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. I've got Kyle Clement on. He's going to be coming to Southern California this weekend. Much anticipated conference, spiritual warfare conference. It's already sold out, but you can... uh, you can uh, still sign up and you can watch it for free or, or you can watch it once you pay the, the registration fee uh, on the computer on Monday. You can have it forevermore. You can invite people over your house, put it on the big screen, and you can watch all the talks over and over again for the rest of your life. This is high-level spiritual warfare. We're talking to Kyle Clement. Uh, Kyle is part of the SM, SMD. He's the only, I think, lay, lay, lay person that's part of the SMD, the Society of the DeLorean Fathers. Uh, Kyle, what is Father Ripperger going to, to, when he starts off the conference, it's called Introduction to Modern Spiritual Warfare. You've probably heard this talk before. What is the audience going to hear from him? What they're going to hear, Jesse, is just an orientation to a battlefield or to an, to an ongoing conflict that essentially says there is, it's the same old shoot 'em up there is nothing new. There's no new demons. <clears throat> There's no new original thought. There's no, all the humans that, that come to it are new, uh, new recruits to the battle, new entries to the battle. The demons are ancient. The rules of engagement are ancient. <clears throat> this is an ongoing conflict. You know, I'm reminded of uh, when you're driving in traffic and uh, everything slows down. And some guy comes speeding up in the right-hand lane, new to the new to the location, and he's like, "Hey guys, let me show you how to get around this." Well, he's stuck just like everybody else. Um, so the new soul to this, or the person experiencing it for the first time, thinks that this is somehow new and unique, and that we've got to find an answer to it. It is a it is an age-old conflict, which exists ultimately in the economy of salvation. And so that's what Father's going to talk about, that there's nothing new under the sun. But by the same token, each soul is new to the conflict, is new to the to the concept. And, but they've got to yield to these rules of engagement. They've got to yield to certain types of behavior. Um, you know, anytime a man enters an armed conflict, you, you enter the boxing ring and, and humans are boxing exactly the same. The equipment may be a little bit different, but the method... You're listening to Jesus 911. Uh, we just we lost communication with Kyle. We're having internet problems. I'll just say a little prayer, and uh, I'm sure we'll get him back. Ave Maria. But at the same time, we've got to engage. We've got to engage in the battle and and use the tried and true. Don't use the you know the evangelical model um, is less than 200 years old. Uh, the Roman model. Uh, is really less than 60 years old, uh, about 70 years old, coming out of uh, the influence of of the charismatics into the church, and it gains a lot of um, it gains a lot of purchase. And I think I want to speak just a moment to that common ground between those two models is the idea that uh, the will is compromised, and the human has to have prayers of another human in order to quote free up his will. This is not consistent with Catholic theology, which we, we turn to the illustration of the profundus, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, out to you, O Lord. 
And so what this means is there's always a medium of communication between creature and creator. And the demon cannot override that. The demon cannot totally compromise or suppress the will of the human. St. Thomas is very clear in this. And he says, with regard to, to interaction among creatures, we cannot will the action of another. So anytime we think we're willing the action of another, there's actually some conformity in wills. And this brings us to Dan's next talk, which is going to be um, the, the psychological compatibility. Is, and ultimately the premise of that talk is that <clears throat> the fallen angel and the fallen human have a point of compatibility in their fallen psychology, meaning they agree on at least one, if not more points that are in conflict with Catholic faith, known Catholic theology. Um, and so I, I hope that addresses the question about Roman methodology, evangelical methodology, which are reliant person in the psychological realm rather than Jesus Christ in the spiritual realm. Uh, Dan's next talk after Father Ripperger is actually, it's entitled, All the Rules of Engagement Can Be Found in Sacred Scripture. And I know much of what Dan has written in a book that's coming up, it's based on your lectures and Father Ripperger's lectures. So what are the rules of engagement that Dan is going to be talking about? So what he's going to talk about is, uh, look in sacred scripture, wherever there's interaction between humans and demons, Whenever there's interaction between demons and God, fallen angels and, and God or fallen angels and the glorified angelic, look to these for, for rules in, in, in sacred scripture. And so one of the first instances we have is, um, it, and Jesse, you're a, a biblical scholar of, of no small stature, and you, you'll know what I mean, that um, in the garden, uh, there's, there is, this, in fact, is the first enunciation. If you have defined enunciation as an angelic being speaking to a human. So in this, we have the first instance of an angelic being speaking to a human. And it is Lucifer, the fallen angel, speaking to Eve, who at the moment he speaks to her is engaged in sin. So we've already got the psychological compatibility. She's contemplating the fruit. She's engaged in a, in a sin of thought, uh, contemplating departing God's will. And then we see uh, Lucifer uh, in the form of the serpent give voice to her thought. And then in this moment, it's the psychological compatibility. So that's one of the rules of engagement is that <clears throat> if you're, uh, you know, like a grandmother used to say, if you're in the right place doing the right thing at the right time, you don't have anything to worry about. And that's that's a that's a true statement. And so the demon is is praying, if you will, or present to those who are there's an inconsistency in their behavior, there's a nonconformity with God's holy will. And Dan will go deeper into that. Another rule of engagement we're gonna find in the book of Job, and that is they can afflict you in the flesh, but they cannot kill you. And they cannot affect your upper faculty. They cannot possess the soul. They may only afflict the flesh. We go on through into the book of Tobit. Uh, Tobit, we get some insights into uh, exorcism. We get some insights into the rite and ritual and methodology of how to expel a demon and how a demon's present there in the first place. 
And so Dan's going to pick through, I've just given you a couple of the highlights, but he goes all the way through um, righteous locution as well as unrighteous locution. Anytime there's communication between the angelic realm and the human realm, something can be learned, <clears throat> even if it's done by the diabolical. But again, the, the whole concept is <clears throat> there has to be psychological compatibility. So there's even a psychological compatibility uh, between Mary and Gabriel in the second annunciation where an angelic being um, speaks to uh, a human, but it's a glorified angel speaking to a perfected human. So the communication, the, their psychological compatibility is love of God, piety, uh, great thanksgiving. Um, and so that's their medium of psychological compatibility. So he'll follow that thread through scripture and we see how we become uh, vulnerable to the adversary and also how we triumph. Kyla, Dan's, oh no, Father Ripperger's next talk, and I think this is huge because if we don't get this right, then we get <clears throat> nothing right. And I think this talk is going to be like a cold glass of water and a hot summer day for most lay Catholics. It's called power and authority structure. And I think this is an area where the Pentecostals and Charismatics uh, have, this is an area where they've deviated, where they conflate both power and authority. And, and this, again, opens up uh, people uh, to retaliation, diabolical retaliation. So give us a little soundbite <clears throat> of what Father Ripperger is going to talk about on power and authority structure and juxtapose that, compare that to maybe the Pentecostal charismatic model and the Roman model. That's a great question, and I think you're right. I think it comes as a, as a re uh, revelation, but it also comes with a great resonance. And so what Father is going to talk about is that you don't have to be a person of faith. You don't have to be highly educated. You don't have to, you certainly don't have to have a PhD in theology to understand the natural law. The natural law is written on our heart. This is part of that communication between God, between creator and creature, God and human. And it's, it's, it's a created nature <clears throat> without a formal set of laws, we know that it's wrong to do certain things. We know that we have the power to do certain things and other things, though we have the power to do it, we should not do it. And so he, he makes a very clear and straightforward case that, um, that, that power is always tempered by authority. It, it's always channeled. It's always rightly used. It's always, um, St. Thomas says that, that inherently the human's power exceeds his authority. <clears throat> and so once you see that, modernly, that one of the departures is I, I do it because I can. Um, Valerie and I laugh at a, a T-shirt that's made for small children. It says, I'm two. I do what I want. <laughs> so... <laughs> The two-year-old mind does not have a pure set of motives and desires. They've yet to reach the age of reason. And so Father is going to go through power and authority as being two very separate things. You know, alarming thing that's happening in the Catholic Church. It comes right out of the Pentecostal movement. It comes right through uh, ecumenical communities 
which uh, are shocking to me in their very existence that Catholics live side by side with non-Catholics without any um, obligation to convert them, and that we have laymen acting as priests um, from a power and authority structure. But the alarming statement is that power is authority. This is actually made by one of the, quote, Catholic leaders in this, in this uh, Pentecostal form of deliverance that is prevalent in the church. It's also picked up and echoed charismatics who appointed themselves as a self-appointed pontifical commission, which essentially say power and authority are synonymous. And all one has to do is call on the holy name of Jesus, regardless of what his relationship is to the soul over whom he's imposing hands and calling down uh, the holy name of Jesus. <clears throat> this is inconsistent with Catholic theology. It's inconsistent with the natural law. It's inconsistent with the divine positive law. And it's one of the reasons that charismatic prayer groups have such wreckage in their families and in their, in their extended communities. I hear the music. Good stuff. High level spiritual warfare. Jesus 911. Stick around. You'll hear, you'll hear more from Kyle Clement on this weekend's conference. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We have the Spiritual Warfare Conference this weekend in Southern California. A lot of people are anticipating it. It's going to be recorded. People can, uh, <clears throat> can purchase the conference, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to obtain it by Monday. And you can watch it and study it and pass it around uh, to your fellow Catholics in your parish for the rest of your life. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a high level spiritual warfare conference. This is not <clears throat> the kids' gloves are off, so to speak, and uh, Catholics are going to be be treated like adults. <clears throat> Kyle, you're talking about Father's uh, talk on power and authority structure. This is a again an area where there's been a lot of infiltration in the Catholic Church, where the Catholics Many Catholics have bought into the Protestant Pentecostal model and, uh, and, and they basically conflate power and authority. Like you said, even some of the, the leaders in, in some of the Catholic uh, deliverance models out there uh, make those statements in, in, their, in their manuals. Uh, I know Father Ripperger, he he's finishing up a book or he just finished up a book on this topic. So it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, his, his brain is probably going to be have like 500 footnotes that he can draw from. But Kyle, on a practical level, what is the danger with a lay Catholic? You know, and, and, and usually, by the way, let's just be honest, usually the people that are doing this are lay Catholic women. You know, setting up a, 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 a deliverance ministry in the basement on Tuesday nights at the parish. Uh, what, what, what would be the, the problem or the repercussions of a lay Catholic stepping outside of their lane and laying hands on somebody that's diabolically afflicted at some level and trying to draw the, drive the demon out in the name of Jesus. What, what are some of the things that can happen? So it's a, it's a good question, Jesse. <clears throat> in, uh, in cosmic symmetry, if you will, or in spiritual um, symmetry, what happens is 
the person who is out of the authority structure calling on the holy name of Jesus, whether they're imposing hands or not, but the imposition of hands, now what they're doing is they're assuming a priestly role and a priestly posture. Um, you've, you've done a great job researching this particular topic. I sent it to two priests yesterday, your article on laying on of hands, just simply because this has, uh, there's been such an erosion post-conciliar of true priestly roles and what is reserved to the priest. So this idea of the lay priesthood is, is just run rampant, and it comes into our church through uh, consultation of, uh, by Protestants and others who do not understand the priesthood. And yes. it's being promoted. I think you look at who it's being promoted by is you know, women teaching in seminaries and other things. It's, they're, they're simply, <clears throat> the seminarian does not need to be hearing that. Uh, because that's going to be a formation he's going to carry into his priesthood, and it, it's a failure to real, realize exactly who he is in his priestly role and identity, and it's a failure for the laity to realize uh, right boundaries. And bottom line is, is if we're exercising someone else's authority, we're usually not exercising our own. So to your question of retaliation, he will attack specifically the structure that you are uh, disrespecting. And that's going to be familial structure for the most part. Grace uh, and authority flow through the patriarchal side of, of marriage, of vocation. Now, the feminine side is absolutely necessary in order for the grace to be functional. We'll talk about that in the conferences. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an absolute necessity for both the feminine and the masculine and for them to be rightly ordered. And I think that once you look at the foot of the cross and we go deeper into that as to what exactly is, is happening, <clears throat> then there's on right ordered authority, right ordered subjection and right ordered um, power being discharged through that office. And so there are many models, but you're right. Father's book's going to be available in March. We've had some delays with regard to publication, but it's available in March. It goes into this. And it, it's just a real functional blueprint on how to reorder your families. But you're precisely right. The fact that a woman, uh, or a man for that matter, but more importantly, a woman's farther out of the authority structure, if she finds herself in a charismatic prayer group without her husband, not under the authority or accompaniment of her husband, a quasi-sacerdotal or priestly way by laying on hands and commanding demons. This is simply... Um, <clears throat> there's no way you can reconcile this. Uh, there, there's no way you can color the background to say this is proper or this is <clears throat> warranted. Kyle, what? give me a simple definition of psychological compatibility with the enemy. That, that, does that mean, for example, I'm just going to throw something out there. Does that mean like, if, for example, if somebody has like deep-seated anger issues, is he attracting maybe... Uh, the demon of the seven deadly sins, the demon of anger. Is that what psychological compatibility means? Or is there more to it? It can be, but let me give you three examples of psychological compatibility. So the first one is um, in the person in the addict or the person uh, that uh, does substance abuse. And so he does that for, he's doing that to escape reality. Reality is God. Reality is providence. And so what he's saying is not this cross, Lord, not today, Lord, 
I'm going to alter reality, thereby altering my relationship with you. And he gets ready encouragement from the demon who wants to alter his relationship with God. He wants to alter uh, reality. And so that gives you one example of psychological compatibility is, is to seek the altered state, um, to seek a deviation from re- our, our perception of reality. We're not affecting reality. We're simply affecting our perception of it. And so <clears throat> in that, the demon is psychologically compatible. And so once the substance abuser does that, what he's effectively doing is turning from ad orientum to ad hominem. The focus is no longer on the creature and conforming his will, I mean the creator. His focus is no longer on the creator and conforming his will to the creator. He's conforming his will now to himself. And so and it's in, it's in opposition to God. So <clears throat> that's one example. Next example, death of a loved one, untimely death of a child, death, something we don't understand. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so in this anger at God, if you persist in this anger at God, very quickly a demon will will help you out with that and show you all the other times that God shoulda, woulda, coulda done something to make your life better. And then when you buy into that, there's the psychological compatibility with the demon. And again, the common feature is you turn from ad orientum to ad hominem. You, You lose focus on the creator and you focus on the creature and how these events are affecting you And when you do that, you step squarely out of the economy of salvation. When we step outside the economy of salvation and we become critical instead of thankful in that moment, we're psychologically compatible with the demon. Now, to the extent it doesn't mean you're going to get possessed because you're angry at God uh, for a moment over the death of a loved one. But the longer you stay outside that structure, the longer you stay outside that, the more susceptible you are. And then the third example that I want to give for psychological compatibility, these go to what I think is one of the main things, uh, features of the talk on uh, power and authority, and that is this. God chose the specifics of your identity. God chose that. He chose the very conception to send your soul. He chose the gender, the ethnicity. He chose the time in history. He chose your family. He chose your father, your mother. He chose that because he sent your soul to that conception. Any seeking to alter that identity makes us immediately psychologically compatible with the demon. So you see the deep depravity and the immediate vulnerability to gender dysphoria, to women acting as men, men acting as women. And even though a woman may accept her role as a woman, if she does not accept her role in spousal union with a husband as being secondary to that authority within that marriage or tertiary, she's actually the tertiary authority in the marriage, um, then this is a psychological compatibility with the demon, no matter how subtle it may seem. What do I mean by her being the tertiary uh, authority in the marriage? The primary authority in the marriage is the church is the sacrament, the confines and rules of the sacrament of matrimony and all the things that go with it. So the church is a primary authority in the marriage. The husband is a secondary authority and his authority has to be in conformity to the authority of the church and then her authority is tertiary to the husband. 
So you see there's just this linear progression of authority and grace flows through the right order of that progression. Kyle, I, I want to bring in my partner, Terry Barber. He just jumped in the radio. Uh, you're going to meet him this weekend. Uh, he's He can't wait till you guys uh, uh, come on over. Uh, Terry, uh, say hi to Kyle. Kyle, and- good to hear from you. I've been excited to meet you in person. I've been listening, and uh, I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be a great conference that we're going to be putting on this weekend, and I'm just going to sit here and listen and, and learn. So I continue, please. So it's, yeah. it's good to meet you, Terry, you, uh, over the air. I look forward to seeing you this weekend. Absolutely. All right, Kyle. Well, let's just jump it. Uh, the the next talk you're gonna you're gonna give a presentation on the faculties of the human person and the necessity of right order. What does that mean? Break it down in the blue collar language. So what this is is it is blue collar uh, Thomistic psychology. So Saint Thomas, one of Father Ripperger's most powerful quotes, is that the demon understands us precisely the way Saint Thomas describes us. And so <clears throat> what Saint Thomas. Uh, talked about, and we developed a very elementary, rudimentary schema that Joe Catholic should be able to really latch on to, is in the rightly ordered Catholic, the primary faculty is um, intellect, and then in descending order is intellect, will, memory, emotion, desires or appetites, and then instinct. And so St. Thomas says that rightly ordered with the intellect and the primacy, the intellect being the repository of known and and absolute truth, what we know to be true. Kyle, hold that thought. All right. That's a good teaser right there. We'll be right back. Jesus 911 talking about the faculties of the human person with Kyle Clement. Stick around. Real good stuff. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911 Soul Patrol, we got a spiritual warfare conference this weekend. It's it's the talk of uh it's the talk of a lot of lay Catholics around the country. I'm getting so much uh, feedback about people that are going to register, they're going to purchase a conference, take it to their parish. Uh, put on a big screen TV, sit down with parishioners and just go through all the talks. This is a much anticipated conference because let's just be honest. uh, Nobody, anybody who has common sense knows that there's a rise in Satanism in America. There's a rise in Satanism even within the church. And so a, a conference like this is just so practical because lay Catholics need to have the tools to prepare themselves uh, to fight this battle as the domestic church. And that's what Kyle Clement, uh, Dr. Dan Schneider, and Father Chad Ripperger are going to be doing this week. And Dan, I mean, Kyle, you're talking about one of the most important topics here about the faculties of the human person. Most people are saying, what? What are you talking about? Just went right over their head. But unless they understand this, they're not going to understand spiritual warfare. So can you go and tell us about the faculties of the human person and the necessity of right order? Jesse, and I think you're you're spot on is the necessity to understand this. This is some of the rules of engagement that have always been there, but we we never really articulated them. It's almost like all of us live every single day uh, with the law of gravity, but we. (laughs) 
We've got a uh, short hiatus here. You're listening to Jesus 911. I've got Kyle Clement on, and uh, we'll just call on the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the person in their right order, in that in that familiarity, that that intimacy, because ultimately these what St. Thomas wrote about the Thomistic understanding of the human person is essentially the owner's manual for the soul. It's, he's he's telling you this is how this works, and so rightly ordered, the flesh is is at the uh, command of the soul, meaning the soul commands or the soul is the master of the flesh, which endures for its sanctification and its worship and, and its relationship with God. Disordered, the soul becomes the hostage of the flesh. Uh-huh. And so a simple orientation is that the two faculties at the bookends at either end of this, the primary faculty is intellect, The most subservient faculty or the lowest faculty is instinct. But what happens in fear, once fear enters, which is the first rotten fruit of sin, immediately instinct or preservation of the corpus leapfrogs from the bottom all the way up to the top. Um, Any of you who have ever been terrified and run into a door or you've been terrified and you do something stupid, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. We become dysfunctional in light of fear depending on how paralyzing or how um, how much the fear is. And what St. Thomas says, fear is the unmoderated reaction to a perceived future evil. Now, that may sound academic, but if you stop, I mean, this is this is Captain Obvious stuff. This is Joe Catholic. This is Captain Obvious stuff. You know, Captain Obvious would say you, you hit your hammer, your thumb with that hammer. It's going to hurt. That's exactly what St. Thomas is saying. When you do this, this is the consequence. So in the pagan mentality, the faculties are upside down because preservation of the corpus, growing of the corpus, um, flesh, that is the primary primary, uh, faculty. And then the intellect is is pushed down below that. And so if we make decisions out of these lower faculties, uh, we're, by, we're by definition insane. I think that one of the observations on the insanity of, of humanity is that we no longer think, we feel out of emotion. And so we base our decisions on emotion. To illustrate the point, all you have to do is look at the newscast, look at anything else. It's all emotionally charged. We cannot have an argument on the merits anymore. We can't discuss a subject on the merits anymore. We become uh, we become emotional. And so there's there's no opportunity to engage the rational quality. And the rational quality is the intellect and the will having the primacy and the, the superiority over the lower faculties, meaning I make a decision based on what is best for my spiritual well-being, my family's spiritual well-being, and then everything falls in line based on the decision that's made in the intellect and then carried out in the will. So there's a short riff on the faculties of the human person. We'll go much deeper into it this weekend. Okay, I know you're, you can only guess on this one, but since you know him probably better than anybody in the world, what do you think that Father Ripperger is going to say on his seventh talk where the title is Observations of an Exorcist on the Current State of the World? What do you think he's going to share with the audience? 
I think two things, Jesse. One is he's going to state the obvious because, you know, Joe Catholic sees what's going on. You have a properly formed Catholic conscience, a built-in BS meter. We are the, we've got to start standing up and say the emperor has no clothes. We've got to make the hard statements. Synodality has never been part of the Catholic Church, and it shouldn't be part of it now. We've got to make the hard statements. Amen. No matter how politically incorrect or how in opposition they are, to hierarchy, when hierarchy is is in, inconsistent with 19 centuries of Catholicism, you're, you're always on safe ground to be Captain Obvious and point out, look, this is just simply inconsistent with the 19 centuries that came before, so what necessitates the change? Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do we now amend that statement and say Christ was, is the, was the same yesterday and today, however, tomorrow we're going to update him? We're going to have Christ 2.0. <clears throat> you got to point out the obvious. And I think Father's going to do that. And then what he's going to do that, that we may not be prepared for is he's going to tell you, he's going to pull back the curtain. He's going to pull back the curtain and he's going to say, these are the spiritual forces at work. And here's the way this shapes up. And here's what's really moving. These are the beasts that are under the blanket. These are the things that aren't clearly defined, but moving the landscape nonetheless and I, I think that's not meant to terrorize or to be fearful, to build urgency. It's simply to bring care, clarity and going back to uh, identity. God has so deigned that we live in these times. <clears throat> and it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And we're sent here just like the angels, mission specific to participate in the economy of salvation in a given moment in history because we're tangible creatures that have a a chronological or a temporal part of our existence before we slip into eternal life. Embrace what's going on, be situationally aware, know how to pray, but more importantly, know how to preserve the faith in your domestic church. Kyle, just to show you how uh, the current state of the world right now and, and how the diabolical has has pushed absurdity, absurdity, I mean, to an extreme, we have today, after, after school programs where Satanists babysit your kids until they're picked up by their parents and they give them satanic coloring books, we also have Satanists that are doing invocations at city council meetings. We also know that Satanists, they, uh, you know, they, they erect satanic statues around the country. We have... Uh, Satanists that are military and prison chaplains. We know that uh, the Temple of Satan has adopted parts of the freeways to keep them clean, to curry favor with politicians. And uh, one of the biggest, talk about uh, points of absurdity, we have Satanists coming to Scottsdale, Arizona for their first satanic conference. Uh, this is, uh, it, it's like in your face, it's open right now, and Catholics need to, need to, uh, Wake up, be holy, live in a state of grace, and fight back using the tools that God has given us, the weapons of war, which are spiritual. Uh, Kyle, what say you? I think you're exactly right, Jesse. We look back on the times as we as men need to be saying mea culpa, mea culpa. I'll guarantee you if uh, Joe Catholic, Joe Blue Collar Catholic had gone into the library and told the drag queens, move over, I'm going to read them about Mike and the steam shovel 
you'd have had a whole different deal. But we just sit here like toad frog in a hailstorm. That's an old West Texas expression. <laughs> paralyzed by the, the things that are happening. Well, we've got to wake up. Awake, oh sleeper. You're exactly right. But it's, it's up to us as men. You know, Canada, we're seeing this happen in Canada when the truck drivers basically say, basta, that's enough, guys. It's enough. We as Catholic men have to, to make this stand if we're going to preserve our faith, our domestic churches, and our integrity. We've got to, to, to take an active part. And I think you show up in mass <clears throat> in your work clothes uh, in Scottsdale and just not, not going to have it. Uh, there's going to be uh, 500 or 1,000 of Joe Catholics that are just going to pray the rosary right here. And we're going to call and make present through projection our Blessed Mother. And then you guys can deal with it. But until we start um, taking an active role, um, then we're all armchair quarterbacks. We're all just, you know, Monday morning critics. We're all political pundits. And, and this is this is not a spectator activity. This is a participant activity. So roll your sleeves up, quit whining and get out there. Amen. Uh, well, I can't wait to see you guys this weekend. It's going to be it's going to be great. Uh, uh, you guys have a. A, a lot of people that are anticipating this conference, especially those people that are just going to be watching uh, via the Internet. And uh, is there any last things you want to say to the audience before you uh, drive to, or fly out to California this weekend? Yeah, and, and I, here's what I'm going to ask for is I'm going to ask the men involved in this conference that are coming, that are planning on watching that are anyway um, listeners of Virgin Most Powerful Radio, I'm going to ask for two things. One, I'm going to ask that you ask the intercession of every Catholic man who gave his life for this country. Mm. And so we're going to ask the intercession of the church purgative and the church triumphant that ever gave his life for this country, was ever a civil servant, was ever a policeman, was ever a fireman, and we're going to pray and ask that they, they strengthen us with their prayers. And then the other thing is pray for safe passage for all those coming to the conference, safe passage here and returning home, and that everyone's home be protected while that man is away, that every uh, that the angelic presence of the home, the guardian angel, the marriage angel, that all the possessions... Uh, and the household of the men attending this conference and presenting this conference be protected by angelic uh, presence. And so if you'll ask for those two things, pray for that throughout the weekend. I would appreciate it. Amen. All right, brother, we'll see you in a few days. Thank you very much for all you do for the church. Jesus, Thank you, one. that's a wrap. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands on Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. Uh, as for us, we are 10-7. We are end of watch, E-O-W. God bless you. Keep the faith.